Paul wrote about a great deal. He crammed a lot into his writing, and he uh, had lots to say about lots of different things. So I've just been studying these letters lately, and these are things that I've seen that God showed me that I need to really, I think, focus on for myself. Okay? All right. Before we get started, let's take a moment and pray and ask God to bless our time in the, in the worship through His Word. Father, this morning, as I speak Your Word and as I share a message from Your Word, I pray, Father, that You would just speak to all of our hearts and lives, that You would first help me to preach to myself before I preach to anybody else, that I would grow and mature as well, but also that Your church would be strengthened and, and equipped for uh, the work of the saints, and that also, God, that You would, uh, through Your Spirit, Strengthen the church as a whole and that people would be encouraged. Whether they live here in Lawrence and go to Cornerstone or where they live in another state, bless and be with each one of our people that we know and those that we are getting to know through Facebook Live. Father, I just thank you for the gift of Facebook Live that we can uh, have worship uh, through this, uh, this format. And I just pray you'd use it for your glory. And I pray for this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thessalonica was a major city in the first century of the Christian church. It was a, a Greek city primarily, but it had a mixture of different people groups. It was established along a major highway, a main highway at that time. It was also very close to the Aegean Sea, so it had a lot of traffic, a lot of business, a lot of trade. Farmers would go in and take their goods and their animals in to sell. So there's lots of things going on. It was a big city. And Paul and Silas visited this city on Paul's second missionary trip when he went there. It's described in the book of Acts chapter 16. And they went there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They weren't going on a business trip. They were going there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell people who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for people. And there was a large population of Jewish people living in Thessalonica, and they had a synagogue. And in that synagogue, they even allowed Paul to preach Christ. But they were forced to leave. Paul had preached, and they were forced to leave because the Jews there were angry, not all of them, but a, a majority of them were angry because a lot of the, a large number of Gentile God-fearers, God-believers, had begun to believe in what Paul was preaching. They began to believe in Christ. They turned to Jesus, and they turned away from Judaism, and they didn't like that, so they got mad. They got a mob up, and they ran Paul and Silas out of that city. Now, this letter, as most of you probably know, is famous for what? The second coming of Jesus Christ, right? Chapter 4. That's what First Thessalonians is most famous and well-known for. But there are a lot of other things that we can learn from this letter. And I hope to show you some of these things, such as the importance of faith in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I think today faith in Jesus is far more important than the church might realize. People are looking for answers to life problems, real-life problems. And the Christian faith, the church has it. It's Jesus. So faith in Jesus is very important. That's one of the topics we'll talk about. The, that suffering for Jesus is not necessarily bad. That we, we don't like the idea of suffering, but suffering for Jesus is not necessarily always bad. A great, great things can come out of suffering for Jesus. That we should encourage each other through our faith. And for those folks at home who are listening, I hope you're encouraged. You might not be able to be here, but you can join us on Facebook. I just, I'm glad to see all of you here this morning. Um, it encourages my faith. We need to do that. That living for God keeps us close to God. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about living for God, meaning let God guide your life, living in a relationship with God can keep you close to God? And that we should live every day for Jesus in some way. 
We should live every day for Jesus. He's our Savior and Lord. Can I get a hand on that? Amen? Yeah. If he's our Savior and Lord, we ought to be living every day for him. A problem today is this. A lot of Christians get their scripture from devotional books. Now, I have nothing really against devotional books. I read some devotional books myself. But they only read a few verses at a time. And they get their understanding of those few scriptures from the writers of those devotional books. And those writers might be okay, and they might not be okay. You don't know. What if we read the Bible, though, first? Read the Bible. Read especially the New Testament letters all the way through. Read the entire letter all the way through. It doesn't take that long to read through a letter of the, of the New Testament. And some of the smaller books of the Old Testament can be read just as fast. And then you add to that devotional reading along with your Bible reading. If we read the books and letters of the Bible in their entirety, our relationship with God will bloom. It will blossom because we will begin to hear God speaking from the entirety of His whole Word. See, what we need is the whole counsel of God, not just a little bit. We don't want a little flavoring of God in our coffee, do we? We want to taste that coffee of God, right? We don't want just to sprinkle some Splenda in there. We want all from God. So it's okay to read your devotional books. I'm not against that, but read your Bible. Read your Bibles. So if you have your outline ready, it should be on the back of your bulletin. If you have a paper ready at home, you're probably not going to be able to see the screen very well. I apologize for that. Uh, we're working on getting more technology to help us deal with this. This is all new to, the, to us as a church, by the way, isn't it? All this technology, trying to adapt to using online uh, tools. If you have your outline, point number one, Paul was thankful the Thessalonians believed in Jesus. He was thankful for their faith in Jesus. Let's look at chapter one together. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of, Thessalon of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by joy, I'm sorry, by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you give us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. <clears throat> All the way through this, uh, this letter, you will see Paul talk about the second coming, that someday Jesus is going to come back. And so he tells the church, have faith. You have faith, keep on having faith. This letter, I like Paul's letters for this reason. It always begins with a typical greeting. He extends grace, grace and peace to you, to the church. So in a sense, Paul is saying 2,000 years ago to Cornerstone today, grace and peace to you. We're not Thessalonica. We're not the church in Thessalonia, but we are a church. And Paul wrote this for the church. 
And so he's saying to us, grace and peace to you. And then he begins to explain his gratitude for them and for their faith in Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 2. <clears throat> he says, we always, I like that. He, he's very emphatic when he wrote. He was very, very emphatic. It wasn't just, we thank God for you. We always thank God for all of you. Mention you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Paul went everywhere he could. Everywhere Paul went, everywhere he went, he went there to tell people who would listen to anyone who would listen to him about Jesus Christ. And he says there's a, in verse 2, he says, we always thank God for all of you. He, he, I just love this part about how he's always, not just we thank God for you, we, thank, we always thank God for all of you. He's really into this. He really cares about these people. And Paul knew those people who were the church from the very beginning, he knew them personally. He had been with them. He had preached to them and they had believed his message because the Holy Spirit had worked in their lives. And he was thankful for them. He was thankful for their faith in Christ. Why was he so thankful? Because they were Paul's harvest. They had turned to, turned to God and turned to Jesus because they heard Paul preach. And the Holy Spirit had convicted them, moved them to listen to Paul. He was grateful they had responded as God worked in their hearts and lives through the gospel message. Look at verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. What did Paul mean when he said God chose them? Paul doesn't explain that. He doesn't go into a great definition about uh, chosen or election. The idea of being chosen or being election, that, that, that can, that's a very difficult issue to deal with for some people. But he used this idea of chosen, of being elected, to highlight the special relationship all Christians have with God through Jesus Christ. In a sense, we are chosen, okay? In a sense, we are all chosen because we listen and we receive and we accept all through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're convicted by the Holy Spirit, not the eloquence of the preacher. That's what Paul's saying here. He said, I didn't really convict you. I didn't convince you with my own words. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicted you. And because you listened, you were chosen. Election can be a very tricky idea. It can be used in an exclusionary way, which I don't like. People will say, well, I'm chosen and you're not. So it's a way of saying we're saved and you're not saved. Paul never tried to exclude anybody from salvation. Never, not once. He didn't want to. Paul wanted everybody to be saved, but he certainly knew not all would be. But he never tried to keep anybody out of the kingdom of God. Paul was thankful thankful to God the Thessalonians believed in Jesus after he preached the gospel. But he gave the glory to God for their salvation. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. He was giving the glory to God here. Paul said the Thessalonians had faith in Jesus because the Holy Spirit did all the work. The Holy Spirit just used him. Paul simply told them what Jesus had done for them, who Jesus is and what he had done. You know what? We should, uh, we should always seek God's help and salvation. 
We should always seek the Holy Spirit to do that work that you and I can't do. Now, we need to share Jesus, I think, more than we probably do. And you have to make a decision for yourself. Are you going to tell people about Christ, about your faith? Are you going to do that? Are you going to let God use you and let you let God uh, do things in your life through other people's lives? You're going to have to make that decision. We all do. But don't, don't ever back away from that. Don't be afraid of talking about your faith to people because the Holy Spirit will work through the, your words just as much as he did Paul. That's why Paul said this in Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when we talk to people about our faith, when we bring that up in a conversation, or it just comes out naturally in our conversations with family and friends, the Holy Spirit wants to use his power in you, in your words, to help that person hear the gospel, hear about Jesus. So just let that happen. Let God work. Let him work through you. Then in, in chapter 2, Paul said that he said, he remembered the Thessalonians had suffered for the gospel of Jesus. He remembered. He didn't forget. He remembered they suffered too. <clears throat> Look at verse 2. I'm sorry, chapter 2. He says, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered, been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dare tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God, who tests our heart. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask that cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted not as a word of men, but as it actually is the word of God which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen, the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to their limit, but the wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers, when we see, I'm sorry, but brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Amen. Paul remembered the Thessalonians suffered for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, look, you're my joy. You're my crown. That when I stand before God, you are the crown that I'm going to give to him. 
He talks a lot about suffering as a follower of Jesus in this, in this chapter, chapter 2. He mentions his own suffering in Philippi where he was beaten and, and flogged and thrown into prison. In verses 6 through 9, Paul said he did everything he could to keep from burdening them with his needs. So what did he do? He worked. He was a tent maker, a tent repairer. He worked with leather goods. He did these things. He, he, did, he, he made, thing, made things out of leather like tents and other things like that. He made his own living so he could preach the gospel to them so as not to burden them down at the beginning. Then in verse 14 and 15, look at it. Paul said he remembered they had suffered their, in, for their faith in Jesus too. Verse 14, for you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Judea which are in Christ Jesus. You suffer from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. He said, look, you're suffering the same way the churches in Judea are suffering. The Jew Jewish Christians in Judea are suffering the same thing you're suffering from your countrymen. So the church is suffering together for Jesus. Not all suffering is necessarily bad. Lots of good things can come out of suffering. Suffering for being a follower of Christ was much a bigger part of the life of a Christian in the early church. In the ancient world, most cultures were not tolerant towards Christianity at all. Hardly any religions were ever tolerant. They were not, like we say, tolerance today. They had no constitution that says you had the right to free, the freedom to, to worship or serve God however you wanted. Every culture favored its own religious beliefs over other beliefs, and Christianity was a radically different belief system even back then in the ancient world. This is why the church in America, I think in my opinion, is struggling so much and is confused about our culture today. I think the church in America is very, very confused right now about the culture and about the culture of the church in America. Biblical Christianity, I am a biblical Christian. And why am I a biblical Christian? Because I believe the Bible is the Word of God. And so I try to let the Bible guide and direct me in my relationship with God. All right? And the decisions that I make that are spiritual or even material or just daily, daily decisions, the Bible is supposed to help guide and direct me and you in this world. So we are biblical Christians if we do that. But biblical Christianity is no longer favored in America today. And to make it worse, some forms of Christianity are growing stronger because their message is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation, but salvation from want. Can you believe this in America today? The churches, many of the churches are preaching salvation from want. Let me ask you, friends, are you starving? No. Most people in America today can get some help. Now, there's a lot of people who are in need in America true need. But most Christians are doing okay. Most of us aren't too worried about where our next meal is going to come from. But the, but the church in America today is very confused about this. They, many preachers are preaching the gospel of, of salvation from wants. Not the want for another food, for food or medical help, but the want for a bigger house and the want for a nicer car and the want for a trip to go around the world or whatever or the want for more money in the bank, or a better job. That kind of want. I'm not worried about that want. Are you? No, we shouldn't be. We really shouldn't be. Okay? 
But we've got something going on in the church in America today called the prosperity gospel. We got something called the name and claim it gospel. We got the word of faith gospel in America today. And these are drawing people away from the Bible to want things for the fact of just for the ability to have those things. Most Christians are doing okay in America today. But biblical Christianity is struggling. These other churches are growing. They're growing stronger because they feed that, that desire <clears throat> that all people have that want we want things. It is part of our old nature to be greedy. Well, so-and-so, my, my brother just got a brand new car, a brand new pickup. He got a Ford or a Chevy or a Dodge or whatever. He got a 2020. I, and I, I think I, I better get me one too. I'd like to have one of those. But can I afford it? Can I afford it with what God's called me to spend my money on? I can afford a lot of things, but if I weigh in the fact that God's called me to give tithes and offerings, then I've got to be careful about how I spend my money. Because am I going to obey God or am I going to seek to fulfill my needs or wants, my wants, not my needs? See, biblical Christianity in America is struggling, so we have to be willing to suffer like the early Christians suffered for our faith in Jesus Christ alone and not ask Jesus to give us trucks and cars and Things like that. He might give us what we need. I'm sure he will. He's, I have a pickup right now. It's, 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 a, it's enough. I don't need a newer pickup. It's enough. I really don't want that payment either. But I'm thankful that God has given me that pickup. And it's paid off. And it gets me from here to there. In 1 Peter 3, verse 13 says this. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Right? Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good things for people? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. All right? So don't worry about what you don't have or can't afford. Be more concerned about where you're at with God in your daily walk in life. Well, then Paul mentions Timothy in chapter 3. Look at chapter 3. <clears throat> he says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother, and God's fellow workers spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by, by these trials. You know quite well that we were, we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that some, in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our, and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of our faith, of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as our does, ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Again, he talks about the second coming of Christ. He always slips that in there because he's reminding them that Jesus is going to come back. That's something that we need to remember today. Someday Jesus is coming back, right? Amen? That's right. Someday he is coming back. 
And we just need to remember that. And that will strengthen our faith to hold on, to be more encouraging to others. Because we're supposed to encourage others that Christ is coming. Point number three on your outline this morning, Paul was encouraged by what Timothy told him about the Thessalonians. He was encouraged. Paul in his suffering was encouraged by Timothy, what Timothy said the church in Thessalonica was doing. <clears throat> Paul went through incredible trials and persecutions. All the way through his whole life of ministry, he, was, he struggled and just, just to survive and to live through some of the things he had to go through. Beatings and floggings and going hungry and, and not having enough clothes. But in all of his struggles and all of his suffering, he always thought of the church, especially the church in Thessalonica. And he thought of the church there a lot, he says. He thought about how they were doing. He was worried that his suffering might cause them to lose faith and to leave the faith in Christ. Look again at verse 1. <clears throat> so when we could stand it no longer, he's so worried for them. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to, to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother, God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Jesus or Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. He says, look, I'm so worried for you and your faith. I'm going to send Timothy to make sure you're okay. He was so concerned for them he, that he wanted Timothy to go find out how they were then come back and report back to Paul if they needed anything. If they needed spiritual help. Not that Paul needed spiritual help, but did they need spiritual help? And so Timothy did that. He went to Thessalonica. He went to the church. He found out they were still thinking well of Paul, still loving Jesus, and he went back to Paul and reported that they, everything was okay. <clears throat> Paul was in Corinth when he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. And if you know anything about the church in Corinth, the letters to the Corinthians, he was probably helping them deal with some sort of problem that they had going on. It was a very troubled church, lots of infighting, lots of leadership problems. So Paul was there trying to help them. But his concern was for the Thessalonians. And his concern for them was relieved when Timothy came back and said, Paul, they're doing well. And so Paul thanked God for the church there at Thessalonica. Verse 9 how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? He would go to God in prayer, and God would bring the Thessalonians to his mind, and he would begin to thank God for them. About all the things that he had seen them do as believers, how they were faithful, how they listened, how they obeyed, how they grew in the faith. And it made him joyful. It made him praise God even more. It amazes me as I read these letters how close the early Christians really were. I mean, not just little groups in the church, but I mean the entire early church of the first century in the ancient world there. Before it ever made it to Rome, before it ever got to Europe, I'm talking just right there in the Middle East, how close the churches were, how close Christians were, even when they were separated. They prayed for each other. They encouraged each other. They sought to encourage and strengthen each other in the faith. That's what we ought to be doing today. We need to be coming closer to all of us coming together. Not just a few groups of us here and there, but all of us as the church coming together, growing stronger in our faith and as a church. Look at verse 13. He says in verse 13, this is like a prayer. May He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes 
with all his holy ones. You know, the early church believed that Jesus could come back at any moment. And they acted on that. They acted as if Jesus was going to come back in the middle of the night or the very next morning or sometime during the next day. They thought Jesus was going to come back. And so they were encouraging each other, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. And every day went by and Jesus didn't come back. But what they do? They kept praying for each other. They kept encouraging each other. They kept growing in their strength and their faith and encouraging each other to do that as well. I love that. Now we come to chapter 4. Now usually our attention focuses on what Paul said about the second coming here in the first part, or the, in the middle part. But there's a lot more to this chapter than just that. There's a whole lot more. Verse 4, or chapter 4, Paul says this. He says, live for God and God will always be with you. Do you ever feel like God has abandoned you? Lots of times we feel that way. When, we're, when, when life kind of just falls apart, when something bad really happens, we get bad news, we begin to wonder, is God with me? Is God there? Does God care? Is he taking care of me? Is he watching over me? And I would say to you that Paul, Paul teaches he does. And if we live for God, God will always be with us. Verse, or chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4. Finally, brothers, we, we instruct you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. <clears throat> now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, but not in passionate lust, like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish all men for such sins, as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not cause to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects his instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, do not do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may, be, may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him according to the Lord's own word. We tell you that we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the air, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. I therefore encourage each of each other, I'm sorry, therefore encourage each other with these words. Paul said, Live for God. Live for God, and God will always be with you. He was always trying to season his words, his tough language, with grace. Paul knew something about the written word that many people today don't know. The written word is powerful. The written word just by itself is very, very powerful. It can hurt or it can encourage. It can be easily misunderstood if it has a harsh or judgmental tone to it. It's easy to get tripped up by the, by the, by the written word. So when Paul wrote about spiritual issues that need to be addressed, he wrote about the benefits of doing what he asked them to do. Paul seldom made demands. He seldom made demands. But he did give guidance and direction. 
Look again at verse 1. <clears throat> Finally, brothers, we instruct you how to live in order to please God as in fact you're living. Now we ask you, ask you, and urge you in the Lord's Jesus, Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. He says, look, I know you come from a culture where sensuality and sexuality is rampant. And it was then, and it is today. And so, church, we have to be careful how we live our lives. We've got to be mindful of the culture around us. And so he, he, said, he urges here, he writes here, he asks them to be careful how they live. Now, the church in Thessalonica was made up primarily of Gentile God-fearers who had heard Paul preach the gospel in the synagogue and went with him to start the church. So they came from a very pagan background. Pagan background where sex was part of worship. That sounds strange to us today, doesn't it? Because as Christians, we don't worship anything like that, but that's the way they did in the ancient world. And so they did that. And their culture was all about that. And so they were still trying to deal with that and come out of that. So he's trying to encourage them to keep doing that. They knew about God. But what they knew about God, they had learned in the synagogue from the Jews. And all they knew was rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. You know, when you teach kids rules, they abide by the rules for so long, don't they? Then they try to figure out a way to get around the rule. And that's a human tendency. We all do that. Paul knew they had a lot to learn. So he was patient with them. He was kind to them. He worked with them over time through encouragement. He knew he wasn't going to get them all there in one day. He knew that this was a journey, not a sprint. And so he gave them solid biblical teachings. He did this through his letters and through men like Timothy, who went there and taught them things about Jesus. Look at verse 11 and 12 again. <clears throat> Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That sounds really good, doesn't it? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life to mind your own business. Man, I tell you what, doesn't America need to hear that today? Come on, just mind your own business. Take care of yourself. Take care of your neighbor. But stay out of things that don't concern you. And work with your hands just as we told you. Get a job. That's a new, that's a new concept today, isn't it? Get a job. Our young people need to hear that. And they need to see that from, uh, from us older ones, that we worked too, that we worked and, and now we're retired, but, but we worked. So we want to teach young people, get a job. Get the benefits of a job. Paul says, let your faith ooze out through your life by minding your own ambition, by making your ambition to be quiet, to just have a life, a normal life, where you live for God every day and let that faith ooze out through your normal relationships. He says, be a witness for Jesus by the way you live. Be a witness with your words, but also by the way you live and treat others the way Jesus would treat people. Paul's saying, don't do anything to diminish the power of your witness of your faith in Christ. Don't do anything that would diminish that or bring that faith down or to bring that witness down. This is still good advice today. We need to hear this today, especially in America. There's so much unrest. 
so much turmoil in America today. The church needs to hear Paul's words again. That's why we're reading this letter all the way through. Well, then in chapter 5, <clears throat> Paul says, stay focused on living each day for Jesus. He's all about God and Jesus. He's all about staying focused. Because what, what do humans do? We get out of focus, don't we? We get distracted. Stay focused on living each day for Jesus. Chapter 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write <clears throat> to you, for you know, very, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come in on them, suddenly as labor pains on pregnant women, a woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in the darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. <clears throat> Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just in fact you're doing. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. <clears throat> Make sure that nobody pays back a wrong for wrong but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. <clears throat> brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter written, read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Paul says, just stay focused on Jesus. And then he lays out how we can do that. Verse 4 and 5, look at those two again. <clears throat> he says, but you brothers are not in darkness. So the day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light, sons of the day. We, not do belong, we, not, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. It's not that we should never think about the second coming of Christ. I think we should. We should think about it. But we need to live today for Jesus. We still need to live today, right now, for Jesus. Today is the most important day of your life. Today, you're never going to get today back. It'll be gone. Today will be tomorrow, very soon. And tomorrow will be here, and it'll be the most important day of your life when it, when it arrives. So let's just live for Jesus. Every day God gives us is meant to be lived for his glory in some way. In some days, most days, we live for God's glory in a small way. Smile, greet somebody, hold the door for somebody, uh, help somebody some way. Or just be a good person and live and, and think and pray and talk to God. Maybe that's just a small way to you. Maybe that's all you've got to do then do it for God's glory, all right? Amen? Live your day for God's glory. Verse 6. He says in verse 6, So then let us not be like others 
who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. So we're not like others. We're not like these people around us who don't believe in Christ. They're spiritually sleeping. We're to be spiritually awake. Meaning we're to be aware of God in our life every day, all day long. And learn to think about the Christian faith the way Paul described in verse 10. <clears throat> Here's the Christian faith in one verse, really, in a sense. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That there is the Christian faith in the verse. He died for us. Jesus died for us. So that we may live for him whether we're awake or asleep. Awake or asleep, salvation is not something we get when we die. It's not something we get when we die. Salvation is something we get right now in this life. We get it today. So we, if you know Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord, you have salvation now. <clears throat> we get heaven in the next life. But we live with Jesus now and forever. And this is something many people don't understand. I like what Jesus told his followers in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. He said this. He said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Isn't that true? Amen? Yeah. Each day has enough, enough trouble of its own. So let's just live today for Jesus. Let's do these things, these quiet things, these things that, that our world doesn't understand. Live each day for him. Maybe read your Bible more today and tomorrow and the next than you have been lately. Begin to read your Bible itself. Begin to pray more intentionally about things that bother you. I'm not talking necessarily about personal things. Certainly you should pray for those. But I'm also talking about praying for America. If you're troubled by what's going on in America today, please pray for it. Pray over it. Ask God to do something in our country to deal with all the trouble that's going on in our world, in our country today. Let's begin to pray about these things. Ask God to intercede. Ask God to do something to move people's hearts and minds. We cannot get people to do what we want them to do. You know, what's going on in Seattle and what's going on in some of the bigger cities like Minneapolis? All the violence, all the, the, the attackings and the burnings and all the, the rioting. We can't get people to stop doing that. You and I can't do that, but God can. Even the police are struggling to get them to stop, but God can do it. God really can. That's not spiritual simplicity either. That's just the reality of it all. So maybe we should pray more intentionally. Let the Holy Spirit move your heart and life. Let Him move your mind to spiritual things. <clears throat> when you're troubled by the world, when you're watching the TV and things trouble you, let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Ask Him to help you find peace in all of this. Amen? Amen. If Jesus is your Savior and Lord, and I, I believe that for most of you, he probably is. All of you probably is. Let's just live each day for him. Make that time to read your Bible. Pray intentionally. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Maybe today you're watching the video, watching the stream, and you want to know, how do I have this relationship with God? How do I begin this? It's very, very simple. You have to say a prayer, but you have to mean it. You have to talk to God from your heart. And the only way that I know how to do it is just to give you this prayer. It's a very simple prayer. Let's all bow our heads. Pray for those you know who might need to know Christ. <clears throat> you on the Facebook, those of you who are watching right now, if you're wanting to know how you can reach out to God and ask Him to come into your life, here's how you do it. Just pray this prayer with me. Bow your head, close your eyes, let's pray. Dear God, 
I admit to you I'm a sinner. I acknowledge to you that I need the forgiveness only Jesus Christ can give. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Savior today and forever. Amen. If you've done that, I, I just hope that you will call the church office at 785-843-0442 or, or email me at cornerstonesbc at yahoo.com. I'd like to send you information about the church and about, uh, about growing in your faith, what, what the next steps are for you as a new Christian. If you want to know more, you can do that as well. Call or email me, and I'll be glad to talk to you about that as well. We're going to sing a song of invitation now, and you just let God speak to you. Let's stand together, together as we sing this song, and let God just speak to you about your own walk with him.